0: Lord God Almighty, in whose name the founders of this country won liberty for themselves and for us, and lit the torch of freedom for nations then unborn, grant that we and all the people of this land may have grace to maintain our liberties in righteousness and peace. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. The scripture lessons that you have just heard read and that are printed in today's order of service are those appointed for the Sunday closest to July 6th in the lectionary. There are, however, readings specifically appointed for the 4th of July. When Independence Day falls on a Sunday, as it has this year, we are meant to transfer its liturgical observance to July the 5th. But were we to do so, there would be no liturgical observance at all because none of us would be here or online tomorrow morning. So I am choosing to preach on those readings appointed for the 4th of July, Deuteronomy, Hebrews, and Matthew. The author of Deuteronomy poses the question to the Israelites, what does the Lord require of you? The answer given is fear the Lord, walk in his ways, love and serve the Lord your God with all your heart, and keep his commandments. Israel is also reminded that God executes justice for the orphan and the widow, that God loves the stranger and provides them with food and clothing, and that they themselves were strangers in the land of Egypt. The author of Hebrews speaks about Abraham, who had left his own homeland in search of another that was promised to him and to his heirs by God. And in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus tells his disciples to love their enemies and to pray for those who would persecute them. Now, we might assume that celebrating and acknowledging our national holiday in the context of our Sunday liturgy would be fairly non-controversial. We do, after all, have much to be thankful for as a people who live in this country with considerable freedom. But it has not always been the case that the celebration of this day has been non-controversial. The first American Book of Common Prayer in 1786 included psalms, lessons, and prayers for the observance of Independence Day. But three years later, the General Convention voted against its inclusion because Bishop William White contended that its observance would be inappropriate given the fact that the majority of the Church's clergy had been faithful to the Crown. The 1789 prayer book acknowledged indebtedness to the Church of England, while at the same time recognizing that political independence included ecclesiastical independence as well. So it was not until the 1928 revision of the Book of Common Prayer that liturgical provision was made for the observance of this day. When our daughter was 19, she and a friend went to Kenya for three weeks. She set off with her passport, her iPhone, her laptop, with sufficient funds, and with instructions to let us know once they had arrived at their destination. On February 1st, 1906, a young woman, only one year younger than our daughter was, arrived by herself at Ellis Island. Maria Gallucci had traveled by ship from Casenza in the south of Italy to New York City, She was traveling alone with only $15 in her pocket. Once she arrived in New York, she still had another 3,000 miles to travel to the West Coast where she would be met by her brother, Gesano, John Gallucci. Unlike our daughter, Maria would have had no way to let her brother know that she had arrived in America and that she was on her way to meet him in Portland, Oregon and I doubt if much of that $15 remained by the time she arrived in Portland. Mary, Maria, Gallucci was my Italian grandmother. Her first glimpse of the United States would have been the Statue of Liberty as her ship approached Ellis Island. Maria, Mary, Nana arrived in New York only 20 years after the Statue of Liberty was dedicated. As we know, Lady Liberty was a gift to the United States from France, a gift to commemorate the centennial of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. The date of the Declaration of Independence is inscribed on the statue's left arm. And inscribed on a bronze plaque in the pedestal is the poem The New Colossus by Emma Lazarus. Not like the brazen giant of Greek fame, with conquering limbs astride from land to land. Here at our sea-washed sunset gate shall stand a mighty woman with a torch, whose flame is the imprisoned lightning, and her name, Mother of Exiles. From her beacon hand glows worldwide welcome. Her mild eyes command the air-bridged harbor that Twin Cities frames. Keep, ancient lands, your storied pomp, cries she with silent lips. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Emma Lazarus's poem would not have been readable from Nana's ship as it approached the harbor, but even had it been, Nana would not have been able to read it. There were a series of questions about each passenger on the ship's manifest. It asked, for example, if the passenger was a polygamist or an anarchist. The answer was no. Was the passenger married or single? She was single, although a marriage had been arranged with my grandfather, Angelo Zarelli. Was her ticket paid for? Yes. Was she going to meet someone? Yes, her brother John. Was her health good? Yes. Was she crippled? No. How much money did she have? Fifteen dollars. What was her status? Peasant. Could she read or write? No. This young peasant woman from Ksenza was what Emma Lazarus referred to as one of the tired, poor, and huddled masses yearning to breathe free. Nana never did learn how to read or write, and she barely learned how to speak English. We would have to remind her that when we were together, she had to speak English instead of Italian, to which she would say, I know, speak of the English. And we would say back, yes, Nana, you do speak of the English. There are echoes of Emma Lazarus's poem in both the readings from Deuteronomy and from Hebrews, or perhaps it would be more precise to say that the poem has echoes of scripture in it. The poem may be a reference to the statue of Colossus that stood in the harbor on the island of Rhodes. But there is, both in the poem and the July 4th scriptures, a connection between a celebration of freedom and provision for the stranger, for the orphan, and for the widow. The reading from Hebrews takes us back to one of the earliest stories of God's people, to the account of Abraham being told to leave his own country for another one that God would show him. The author of Hebrews uses the story of Abraham as an example that Abraham and his descendants understood themselves to be strangers and foreigners on the earth, seeking a better country. For them, that is, a heavenly one. The reading from Deuteronomy is brief. But it gives us a clear lens through which we might see and celebrate the freedoms that we have as Americans while at the same time keeping in mind that we have dual citizenship. We are citizens of an earthly country and a heavenly one and we dare not confuse the two. Deuteronomy reminds us that who we are as the people of God is determined in the first instance by who God is. The Lord our God is God of gods and Lord of lords, mighty and awesome. He executes justice for the orphan and the widow. He loves the strangers and provides for them food and clothing. Deuteronomy then reminds the people of God who they were, former strangers in the land of Egypt. The reason for caring for the stranger is twofold. Because of who God is, as the one who cares for the stranger, for the widow and for the orphan, and because of who they were, strangers in a strange land. The Declaration of Independence begins by saying we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, and that among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that, to secure these rights, governments are instituted. We know only too well that we have not always governed according to the freedoms and ideals that we celebrate today. We know only too well that immigration remains a thorn in our political flesh. We are not always inviting to those tired, poor, huddled masses yearning to be free. I find myself torn between my allegiances to the two kingdoms, the two countries in which I reside. As a resident of the kingdom of God, I am reminded of who God is, and that my own theological roots are intertwined with those of Abraham and the children of Israel who were themselves strangers and aliens yearning for a promised land. As a citizen of these United States, I am torn by political realities and exigencies that prevent us from saying simply, all y'all come. What I am most thankful for this morning is that we have been a nation that has often, albeit not always, reflected something of the kingdom of God. We have welcomed the stranger. We have executed justice for widows and orphans. And on February 1st, 1906, an 18-year-old peasant who could neither read nor write found a home among strangers in Tacoma, Washington, May it be so for other refugees and asylum seekers who are in pursuit of happiness, life, and liberty. And may we always remember who God is and what God has done for us in making us citizens of that heavenly kingdom. Amen. Done?